Chapter 7 of Percy Wynne or Making a Boy of Him. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Katerina. Percy Wynne or Making a Boy of Him by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 7 In which Percy, making way for the heavy villains of our story, does not appear. There was trouble brewing in the small yard. It came about in this wise. About one month after the events narrated in our last chapter, Charlie Witches was endeavouring, as best he might, to enjoy the full holiday which the president of the college had given the students in order of some local event. Accompanied by several of his companions, he had been moving restlessly about the yard, seeking for some amusement sufficiently exciting to raise his depressed spirits. Owing to previous misconduct, and especially to his cruel but unsuccessful attempt at playing ghost, he was not allowed to leave the premises, this privilege being given on recreation days to those only whose general deportment afforded some assurance of their being trustworthy. But he was not alone in his enforced confinement. Nearly all of his chosen companions were under the same ban. In the course of their aimless loitering here and there, they happened to come upon the washroom. This apartment except at certain appointed times during the day, was kept under lock and key. On this occasion, however, the door proved to be open. This fact aroused their curiosity. They entered. The only occupant was a slight child, who was engaged in blacking his shoes. His face, as Richards with his following made the entrance, took on a look of dismay. "'Oh, please don't come in, boys,' he said. "'I forgot all about it. But Mr. Kane, he was the associate prefect with Mr. Middleton, told me to be sure and lock the door and let no one in. It's all my fault, and if anything happens wrong, he'll blame me. Oh, it's you, Granger, is it? remarked Richards, ignoring his request. You ought to be out walking. You're one of the good boys. What are you doing here? I'm just getting ready to go uptown to meet my mother at the station. She's expected to come on the ten o'clock train. Richards was in bad humor, and, being in bad humor, the spirit of rebellion was stirring in his heart. He felt strongly inclined to do something contrary to rule. Well, clear out, Granger, he said. I guess we can run this washroom for a while. Oh, but I can't do that, Richards, answered poor Granger, who had a delicate conscience. I must lock up the washroom and give the key back to Mr. Kane. Must you indeed? You won't do any such thing. Come now, clear out, do you hear? Well, said the little fellow, summoning all his resolution, I'm going to do what I'm told. If you want to stay here, all right. But I've got to go now, and I'm going to lock the door after me. If you stay here, I'll have to lock you all in. Indeed, you'll do nothing of the sort. Say, Riches, suggested John Summers. Suppose we go out and lock him in. Willie Granger, trembling but firm, walked as far as the door and took the key from his pocket. With unsteady fingers, he inserted it in the lock. Well, aren't you coming out? He asked timidly. By way of answer, Richards rudely pushed the child aside, hurriedly took the key from the lock and thrust it into his pocket. His companions were already making themselves at home in the conquered territory. They were throwing about soap, combs, 
brushes, and other toilet articles, dousing each other with water, and indulging in such rude horseplay as among boys of coarser type is mistaken for fun. Poor Willie Granger, looking on at this work of destruction and divided between the anxiety of failing to meet his mother and the responsibility of leaving these boys masses of the washroom, burst into tears. Very well, he sobbed. I'll go and tell Mr. Kane that I gave you the key. It's my duty. You will, thundered Richards. Let's lock him in and leave him here, said Summers, repeating his former suggestion. No, answered Richards. We want the benefits of this room for ourselves. I have a better plan, said Peters. Suppose we put him in the shoe room. Beneath the stairs leading from the washroom to the dormitory was a small dark apartment employed for the keeping of shoes, baseball bats, football covers, and a variety of odds and ends. When Granger heard this cruel suggestion, he saw that his only hope of safety was in flight. But it was too late. The crafty Peters had already put himself between the door and his victim, and, as Granger made a burst for liberty, caught him securely round the waist. Cruelty is contagious. Richards himself, under ordinary circumstances, would scarcely have taken pleasure in such conduct. But in his present ill-humour and his present company, the vile suggestions of Peters found ready entrance into his heart. It is hard, my dear reader, for us to be better than the company we keep. Granger, upon being caught, gave a shriek of fear and struggled with what frail strength he had to escape from his captor. But his endeavours were cut short, as Richards, Somers, and a third member of the party caught him up and proceeded to carry him over to the dark room, while another of the sorry band advanced to throw open the door. In thorough terror, Willie Granger shrieked again and again. He was by no means a cowardly boy, still he was but a child, and children, unless of unusually steady nerves, cannot endure the idea of being shut up alone in the dark. "'Stop your yelling, will you?' threatened Richards. Or will gag you. Even as Richards was speaking, Peters, disengaging his right hand, snatched a towel from one of the adjacent boxes and forced it into Granger's mouth. Suddenly, Peters went spinning against the wall, and as the towel fell from his hands, the water came to his eyes. To use the graphic schoolboy expression, he saw stars. You cowards! ejaculated Tom Playfair following up this blow to Peters with another upon Richard's chest, and with a third which sent Summers toppling over an adjoining bench. "'You cowards!' Tom, brought to the scene of action by Granger's cries of terror, had come upon them so quickly and unexpectedly that he had been able to make three of these cowards smart with pain, almost before they had become aware of his presence. But as Summers went over the bench, several of the boys rushed upon Tom from behind, caught him tightly and bore him to the ground. Tom, too, was in the toils. The mad rage of Peters was something extraordinary. His face in an instant became livid with passion. He almost foamed at the mouth. Throwing himself upon Tom, who was held tightly to the floor, he was about to beat the unprotected face, when Somers and Richards, who were somewhat cooler, interposed. Hold on, said Richards, pulling him forcibly off the prostrate boy. We'll lock them both in. Peters was constrained to agree. But when they attempted to carry out their improved plan, 
fresh difficulties arose for a boy of twelve tom was unusually strong and he kicked and plunged with such effect on their attempting to raise him that besides inflicting minor injuries on several he sent one of the cowards doubled up and groaning into a corner but the young villains were strong in their rage turning their attention to granger they easily succeeded in conveying him to the dark room and leaving but one to guard him all now lent a hand at subduing tom you're cowards every one of you panted the struggling champion you're the meanest set that ever came to st moore's gag him tie him up bandage his eyes howled peters beside himself with passion they were about to carry out these vindictive suggestions when the door of the playroom flew open and a new face appeared upon the scene tom was released instantly mr kane stood before them the boys cowered under his eyes their countenances changed from anger to fear as they stood in shamefaced silence expecting a great burst of indignation but the prefect standing in the doorway said nothing he simply gazed from one to the other as if seeking to define from their faces the whole series of events of all the boys tom was the only one who retained his composure in the least picking himself up and calmly brushing his clothes as though he were in the habit of being pulled about the floor of the washroom by rude hands he softly moved over to willie granger who was standing near the door of the dark room and in his kindest tones said here willie take some candy for some time mr kane continued to gaze on the terrified group and as he stood silent second after second his face gradually changed from its usual calm expression not into anger but into sadness if i hadn't seen it he said at length and his voice trembled as though he were grieved almost to tears i could scarcely have believed the students of st morris could go to such an extreme pass of cowardice if i hadn't seen it i could never have believed that their conduct would compare with the conduct of barbarians he paused for a moment the sorrow upon his face to the culprits was worse than the most violent anger with the exception of peters all were thoroughly and heartily ashamed i never counted he added presently on being obliged to deal with boys whose actions are suggestive rather of rowdyism than of christianity go now richards go all of you except playfer and granger as i am now i am in no state to be able to decide clearly what punishments you should receive i must have time to think did you say we were cowards asked peters sulkily and making a vain endeavor to brazen it out no matter what i said it is certain that the vile attempt to persecute a defenseless child and to lock him up in the dark is the conduct of cowards nay it is more it is the conduct of barbarians there was no tone of anger in mr kane's voice unaffected grief dominated the expression of all other feeling had he broken forth into violent range these delinquents might have put a bolder face upon their base conduct but this mode of taking them was novel and entirely unlooked for crimsoning with shame one by one they slunk from the room playfair said mr kane changing his tone to one of genuine feeling i hope you're not hurt you look as if you had been used rather roughly oh i'm all right sir said tom cheerfully i got a little more exercise than i wanted seeing as i intended to take a long walk this afternoon but that's nothing 
you're a good boy said the prefect heartily really he continued turning to granger who was hardly yet over his fit of weeping you had better make haste if you wish to be on time for the train you must brighten and brush up at once here i'll help you taking a clothes brush mr kane kindly dusted the little victim's clothes readjusted his tie and then filled him a basin of water now wash the tears from your face my boy your mamma would be pained to know that you've been crying and you need have no fear of being molested by those boys a second time this bullying must come to a stop i don't think they're all bad fellows said tom who had theories of his own on schoolboy life i believe that it's the crowd that is bad some of the fellows were good enough before they got together i trust you are right playfair now willie he added turning to granger if you start for the depot at once you will easily make it willie granger whose naturally bright and happy face had already regained its usual expression smiled gratefully thank you mr kane i'm all right now and i'm sure mamma won't notice in the least that i've been in trouble good-bye sir and granger set off for the depot in the best of spirits the kindness of the prefect and the heroic unselfishness of playfair contrasted with the cruelty of his persecutors had given him new and exalted ideas of goodness even the doing of the wicked oftentimes serves to bring out more clearly the beauty of virtue in an innocent and noble soul such a contrast may at times and under proper conditions develop a proper appreciation of what is really high and heroic when tom issued from the washroom into the yard he looked about for his recent foes they were all clustered together in a corner of the handball alley with as much nonchalance as though nothing unusual had occurred between them he walked straight into their midst see here boys he said calmly i believe in being square and i'm going to tell you just exactly what i think you're all new fellows here and i want you to know that most of the little boys of st Moore's don't believe in bullying or imposing on the smallest chaps do you mean to save your bullies tom playfair asked richards menacingly why not answered tom blandly but just wait till i'm through talking now look here the boys don't know much about you yet and most of them haven't the least notion that you've been imposing on little chaps you remember the day i caught you teasing percy wynn well if i told some of the fellows about that they'd have given you the cold shoulder if i tell what's happened to-day no decent boy in the yard will care about having anything to do with you now i don't intend to speak of it so long as you behave properly but as sure as i catch you at your mean tricks again i'll publish you to the yard then you'll be cut dead see here tom playfair said peters do you want to fight oh goodness no i hate fighting are you afraid to try me said peters doubling up his fists and growing braver in the face of tom's tameness well i am just a little afraid admitted tom you're a mean coward said peters come on you blowhard i'm not afraid of a boy my size that's just the difficulty said tom you're not my size you're ever so much smaller there was a difference between them of about three-fourths of an inch in tom's favor and besides as i said i'm afraid you see i might hurt you and i'd feel very bad if i did and even if you were as big as i am i wouldn't fight anyhow fighting is stupid and what's more it's wrong disregarding peter's entreaties to come on tom turned his back upon the crowd and walked off with every sign of self-possession and security 
the dirty little hypocrite hissed peters he's not such a bad fellow said richards whose better nature was struggling to the surface i'm sure he was very honest and square in what he said yes added somers i believe playfer is about right all through we've been going wrong i never felt meaner in all my life than when mr kane was speaking to us about our bad conduct the whole thing got to look so different when he appeared Fah, you milksop said peters witheringly do you want to desert us no not that answered somers losing courage under the scornful glance and contemptuous words of peters we must all stick together of course but but we might be a little more careful i think about not getting into trouble that's it richards assented we'll enjoy ourselves but try to keep clear of trouble and especially not to get on the wrong side of playfair he's the most influential boy of his size in the yard in fact donnell and keenan are the only two who have more influence oh so you're showing the white feather too said peters bitterly indeed oh yes you're quite right so is playfair and we'll swallow everything playfair says playfair said we're cowards cowards repeated the wily villain and that's just what we're going to make ourselves so we're going to let mr playfair go scot-free for getting us into trouble and then insulting us he was right we are cowards peters had spoken like an accomplished villain as indeed considering his age he certainly was all writhed under his scathing words one moment before several of these boys had been on the point of choosing a better course but they were cowards not in peter's sense of the word however they were not brave enough to withstand the sneers of one bad boy see here peters said richards his better nature again crushed under nobody said we were going to let playfer abuse us without paying him back oh indeed then i'm badly mistaken i thought that was what you meant well i didn't say so and i didn't mean any such thing either retorted richards now bent on gaining the leadership which peters was threatening to assume and what's more i intend fixing that playfair so that he'll remember he's insulted the wrong crowd to the last day of his life these words were enough the current was turned back to the old channel the last condition had become worse than the former revenge low brutal unreasoning revenge found its way into the hearts of all peters smiled he had brought things to the pass he desired good he exclaimed richards you're trump i don't know what your plan is for fixing playfair but if you have nothing to propose i've got an idea let's hear it cried many eagerly they drew closer together and entered into a whispered conversation presently somers who by his expression and gestures seemed to dissent from the proposed project left the group and walked up and down the yard alone he had deserted his comrades mr middleton who had entered the playground some five minutes after the affair in the washroom was now standing beside mr kane at the other end of the yard discussing with his co-laborer the morning's disgraceful event while they continued their conversation mr middleton kept his eye upon the knot of boys knowing with the prefect's divining instinct that their close and whispered interview could not be for good look he said keep a close watch on those boys there's something in the wind if we both be careful in connecting events to-day by to-morrow probably we shall have a square case and the crowd will go it's the worst combination of little boys i have seen in st moore's since i've been here it seems to me that there's an accomplished leader amongst them and it is not richards 
If we find out the real leader, we can make short work of the rest. Don't you think Richards is the leader? asked Mr. Kane. He is certainly the strongest, and generally seems to take the lead in everything. I thought so at first, Mr. Kane, but from little trifles I have noticed here and there of late, I have come to the conclusion that he is the figurehead. Somebody else is pulling the strings. But, please God, we'll know by tomorrow, for I see that things are coming to a head. The crowd has lost more member already. Somers is disgusted at something, and has cut away from them. It would be good to keep him out of harm's way for a while, and so give him no chance of weakening. Summers, he called as the lad, buried in thought, was passing by. Summers, come here one moment. Summers approached and raised his hat. Would you like to take a run uptown? The boy's eyes brightened. It was a privilege to go uptown. It became an honor when it embraced a confidential errand for the prefect. Certainly, sir. Very good. Here's a letter for the editor of the St. Moore's Express. When you give it to him, tell him you will return in an hour for the answer. In the meantime, you may take a walk about the village and amuse yourself as you please. Thank you, Mr. Middleton. And Summers set forth brightly on his errand, his determination strengthened to give up for good and all his former company. The prefect was a skillful judge of human nature in general, and of boy nature in particular. To one striving to rise from lower to higher, nothing is so helpful, nothing so strengthening, as judicious and timely kindness. Probably, if Summers had remained in the yard that morning, he would ultimately have been forced down by the pressure of human respect to his former level. But this kindly commission gave a new and lasting stimulus to his resolution. He was done with certain habits and associations forever. His conversion, however, was not complete, it was not miraculous. Indeed, as he went on towards the village, there was a sharp, biting, fierce conflict between his awakened sense of duty and his human respect. He knew that a dastardly plan was preparing, which might result in serious harm to Tom Prefer. He knew, too, that one word from him might avert the danger. But the cost of that one word to him, the contempt of his former friends, their jeerings, their insults, no, it was asking too much. He would take no hand in the matter, cost what it might. But for the rest, he would say nothing. Perhaps, he communed with himself, something may spoil their plan. I hope so. But I haven't the heart to tell on my friends. Not quite satisfied with himself, he kept his way toward the village, turning the matter in his mind and vainly striving to square his resolution with his duty. Ah, I know what I'll do, he said, brightening. If Tom doesn't come back tonight before bedtime, I'll tell. This, after all, was but a compromise with his conscience. He could not but realize that it was his duty to give word at once, and so avert all danger. But, in spite of his desire to do better, he was still a coward. Prayer and perseverance, let us hope, will in time give him true courage. End of chapter 7